Hi, and welcome to Straight Shot Radio. My name is Johnny Slick, and I'm the owner and head coach at Straight Shot Training. For the past few years, the American College of Sports Medicine has listed high-intensity strength and conditioning programs at the top of the list of fitness trends. A decade ago, programs like CrossFit were on the fringe and only used by fitness buffs looking for a new challenge away from the typical gym experience. Now CrossFit has over 11,000 affiliates worldwide and hosts an online fitness competition every year that has well over 200,000 participants of all fitness levels. High-intensity cross-training programs combining gymnastics, weightlifting, powerlifting, strongman, and racing sports like running, biking, and swimming are now present in some capacity at just about any mainstream gym you go to. But there is still this stigma attached to these programs that they are dangerous and participants are prone to injury at a higher rate than other forms of exercise or sport. So is this true? And if it is, how can we make it safer to enjoy programs like this? I've got a pile of recent studies that I want to share with you along with some exciting news that Straight Shot has for CrossFit athletes. So let's jump right into it. Let me start off by clearing a couple of things up. Number one, I am a CrossFit Level 1 trainer and CrossFit Movement and Mobility trainer, and I have been for about six years now. I also trained and competed in CrossFit for about four years. And there's so much that I love about both the training program and the sport of CrossFit, but like any training program, it's not perfect. And I do have some different ideas than is than what is preached by CrossFit HQ. The second thing is, this is not a commercial for or a critique of CrossFit specifically, because high-intensity cross-training methods have been around long before CrossFit, and they've coexisted throughout this decade of CrossFit's reign at the top of functional fitness programs. Most of the studies I'm going to be sharing with you today were done on CrossFit gyms and athletes due to their popularity, but the results can be compared to any gym or program that uses a similar model of constantly varied functional movements performed at high intensities to increase an athlete's work capacity across broad time and modal demands. And for my CrossFit nerds, um, I I did have to write that down, um, but I didn't have to look it up before I wrote it down. I still do remember all of that spiel there. Um, Number three, I will not be referencing the study performed by the National Strength and Conditioning Association that looked at injuries in CrossFit. This is a famous study um, that was even a little bit in, well, when I say news, I mean CrossFit or news. Um, it, It was popular because CrossFit sued the NSCA for falsifying the data collection and the re- and falsifying the results of the study in order to defame CrossFit because the NSCA technically is a competitor to CrossFit. And uh, when CrossFit sued the NSCA, they ended up winning portions of that case. So we're not going to be discussing that one at all. All of the studies we're going to be talking about today were independently performed and published in orthopedic journals and to the best of my knowledge currently are not involved in any collusion like that. All right, so now that that's all out of the way, we'll get into our first study. This is from the Orthopedic Journal of Sports Medicine, and we're going to refer to this one as the Dutch CrossFit study. This study was a questionnaire that focused on 
injury incidents in CrossFit over the course of a year and included data on athlete demographics and characteristics, and it was sent out to all 130 CrossFit gyms in the Netherlands, and it was also available online uh, in active uh, Facebook groups for different CrossFit gyms. So the the data collected was from July of 2015 all the way to January 2016. And this consisted of, of people who were over 18 years of age and trained at a registered CrossFit gym in the Netherlands. So the results of this, this collection study they did was of the 449 participants, 252 of them, or 56.1%, sustained an, inner, an injury in those 12 months, over the course of, of 12 months. So 449 participants, 252 athletes were injured, as over half of them. The most injured body parts in this study were the shoulder, the low back, and the knee. And the duration of participation in CrossFit significantly affected the injury rates. So people who had been training in CrossFit for less than six months were injured at a higher rate than people who had been training in CrossFit for more than 24 months. Uh, the majority of these injuries in the study were overuse injuries. So the conclusion of the study was the injury incidence for athletes participating in CrossFit was 56%. The most frequent injury locations were the shoulder, low back, and knee. A short duration of participation, which is less than six months, was significantly associated with an increased risk for injury. This study is being passed around by coaches throughout the CrossFit community because it was done correctly and it was done without bias and allows us to learn from what's going on here. So the odds of getting injured as a newcomer to CrossFit are staggering, according to this study. But the longer that you do CrossFit, the less likely that you are to get hurt. But what is it about the program that had half of the Dutch CrossFitters getting injured during this year? Well, let's look at the next study. This is the New York study, and it's published in the Journal of Sports Science and Medicine. It compiled information from athletes in CrossFit gyms in Rochester, New York, New York City, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and it was made available to these athletes via a posting on the main CrossFit website, which is one of the things I like about it, is that it was upfront in what it was trying to collect, and everyone who was a part of it, who loves CrossFit, knew that that information on their injuries could help us uh, as CrossFit coaches make the program better. So in this study, the overall injury rate was determined to be 19.4%. So it's very different than 56%. So this injury rate was less than half of what we saw in the Netherlands. And this is a comparable study in terms of sample size. So in the New York study, there were almost 400 athletes and in the Dutch study, there were 450. So CrossFit gyms are individually owned and operated. So maybe the workout design or maybe the coaching was different in New York than the Netherlands. But let's keep looking at the study here. Uh, males were injured more frequently than females, uh, which I, I think a lot of that has to do with um, guys don't tend to listen to their bodies as well as girls do. Um, that's actually not even a big thing that we're talking about today, but I do want to include that. Um, that in all, most of these studies, males were injured at a higher rate than females. Um, but that's probably another talk for another day. Uh, but across all of these exercises, the injury rates were significantly different. So we had shoulder, low back, and knee being the most commonly injured overall, but they did see 
um, various injuries and various exercises. But the shoulder was the most commonly injured uh, area in uh, gymnastics movements. So we're talking about the muscle-ups or kipping pull-ups, handstands, things like that. The CrossFit gymnastics are those elements. When it came to low back injuries, those were most commonly injured in powerlifting movements. So squatting, deadlifting, pressing overhead, um, or powerlifting technically is bench press, squat, and deadlift. Um, but I'm also not sure when they say powerlifting, um, they did have powerlifting as two separate words uh, in this study. So they might mean exercises to develop power like Olympic weightlifting. Um, but that's clean and jerk and snatch, which are different than squat, bench, and deadlift. So that's one thing I can't quite tell from the study if the low back was being injured in squat, bench, and deadlift or in Olympic lifting or both. But lastly here, and this is, I think was the most important part of this study that we can learn from this is the injury rate was significantly decreased with trainer involvement. This is super important to take away from this study. The athletes who reported a coach monitoring their form, adjusting their movements, helping them select the correct weights, those athletes were much less likely to be injured than the ones who didn't have a coach guiding them, or maybe they weren't listening to their coach, because that does happen too. But this is something I take very seriously as a coach. Getting injured while trying to get healthy is counterproductive. Being sore is one thing, but injuries suck for both the athlete and the coach. Now, I don't think coaches are entirely to blame because people need to give their coach feedback if something doesn't feel right. But I do think a huge responsibility is placed on the coach to be smart, to program safe workouts, and to spend time with all of the athletes in a class if you're in a group atmosphere throughout the workout, and to not be afraid to step in and stop someone if they're going to hurt themselves. As coaches, we are the experts. It's up to us to keep people safe while working out. And athletes, you all need to communicate with your coaches. So this study shows how important that relationship, that athlete to coach and coach to athlete relationship is to the athlete's safety. So the next study was not done in a CrossFit gym or through CrossFit athletes, but rather a chain of gyms that had what the study refers to as an extreme conditioning program. And this one we're gonna call the Alabama study. It was published in the journal Sports Health and the hypothesis was the injury rate in the extreme conditioning programming is greater than the injury rate of weightlifting, and the majority of injuries occur to the shoulder and low back. So this was a, an injury survey that was sent out to 1,100 members of a gym franchise with five locations across Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, of all those 1,100 people, uh, only a total of, of 247 athletes actually completed the survey. Of those 247, 85 athletes, or 34%, reported that they had sustained an injury while participating in that gym's extreme conditioning program. Of those 85 athletes, there were a total of 132 injuries recorded. So this was an estimated incidence of, of 2.1 injuries per 1,000 training hours. Uh, the shoulder or upper arm was the most commonly injured body sites. We're seeing a trend here is, is the shoulder injury. Uh, and this accounted for 15% uh, of those injuries. Here's a first important thing here. Uh, athletes with a previous shoulder injury were 8.1 times as likely to injure their shoulder in the extreme conditioning program compared to athletes with healthy shoulders. Uh, the trunk, back, and head, uh, and neck, 
and the uh, leg or knee were the second most commonly injured sites in this study that they collected. Uh, the next thing I want you to pay attention to here, the injury incidence rate among athletes with less than six months of experience in the extreme conditioning program was 2.5 times greater than that of more experienced athletes, which is more than six months of experience. So think back to that, that Dutch study we are talking about at the very beginning. The last thing is, Athletes reported that 35% of injuries were due to overexertion and 20% of injuries were due to improper technique. So three big takeaways from the Alabama study. The first is similar to what we saw with the Dutch study, and that was that newer athletes were injured two and a half times more often than experienced athletes. The second takeaway is another piece of the puzzle that I find interesting, but not at all surprising, and that's that the instance of injury was higher in people with previous injuries. Higher as in you were eight times more likely to injure your shoulder if you had a prior shoulder injury. This is because once you injure a joint or a system, if you don't work to correct whatever that dysfunction is that caused it, or whatever that improper movement is that caused that injury, once it heals, you're going to default back into that faulty movement pattern that caused the injury in the first place. Or, you may never really totally heal from the injury and it leaves you with altered mechanics that will definitely lead to future issues. So here's where athletes need to be honest with themselves and honest with their coaches about previous injuries. And coaches need to be ready to modify things so that people don't re-injure themselves. Finally, the third takeaway is that 35% of the athletes said overexertion caused the injury and 20% said improper technique. I think these actually go hand in hand. If the weight is too heavy for you or the movement is too difficult, your body will seek the path of least resistance and you're going to end up in a poor position and you're going to end up straining through a movement. This is why CrossFit teaches its level one trainers the concept of mechanics, consistency, intensity. So first mechanics, then consistency, then intensity, meaning we get the movement down, we practice good form over and over and over and over again, then we add weight or add complexity. Sadly, even though this is part of the CrossFit certification, it's something that's forgotten by coaches who are too eager to see their athletes set new personal records or say, look, I, I taught this 70-year-old lady how to do kipping pull-ups or they want to put it on their Instagram or something that they that they had somebody crush some state record on the squat or something, regardless of the person's form. At the same time, so that's on the coach's end, at the same time, athletes, you need to be patient. You need to listen to your coach when they make you warm up with light exercises or when they won't let you throw more and more and more weight on a bar before you have your form down. With my straight shot athletes, we do a lot of linear progression, meaning we add a little bit of weight to the bar each week and we focus on certain lifts. And I tell them to start light and to never sacrifice form for more weight or for more reps. I think mechanics and consistency is the secret sauce to fitness and intensity is a nice bonus to take it up a notch. But when you have the head of CrossFit saying that intensity is the single most important variable in a program's success, you can see how both coaches and athletes get confused, but I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go down that road. Let's just roll into our next study here. Uh, this next one is from Florida, so we're going to call it the Florida study, and was published in the Journal of Sports Science and Medicine. 
this survey was administered to athletes at four owner-operated facilities in South Florida. The response, uh, the respondents reported uh, the number of injuries, the location of injuries, and uh, their training exposures, and how often they were training, how many days a week, how many hours a week they were putting in. And they answered uh, questions regarding potential risk factors for injury. So 50 out of 191 athletes, or 26%, sustained 62 injuries during their CrossFit participation in the preceding six months. The most frequently injured locations were the shoulder, the knee, and the low back. So again, we're seeing kind of those same spots um, of where people are getting injured, same joints. The injury incidence was 2.3 injuries for every 1,000 athlete training hours. The injury incidence was similar to related sports, including gymnastics and powerlifting. What do you remember that phrase there? We'll get back to it in a second. Uh, while being a competitor was related to injury, increased exposure and length of participation in CrossFit likely underline this association. Specifically, listen to this last part here, increased exposure to training in the form of greater weekly athlete training hours and weekly participations may contribute to injury. So wait a minute, did you catch that one part? You were just as likely to get hurt doing CrossFit as you were doing gymnastics and powerlifting. So we can look at this one of two ways. One, it shows that gymnasts and powerlifters really can't knock on CrossFit for injury because people in their sports are just as likely to get injured as CrossFitters. Or think of it the second way, gymnastics and powerlifting are competitive sports. So of course you're gonna run the risk of injury. But CrossFit is a workout, and you shouldn't get injured during a workout program. So I think both ways of looking at it are correct, because CrossFit both is and is not a competitive sport. You can do CrossFit as a great workout without competing, or you can do local competitions, or you can do the online competition to qualify for regionals, all the way up to the international competition, which is the annual CrossFit Games. We see in this study that the competitors we're more likely to be injured, which makes sense because CrossFit workouts are scored or timed somehow, and the faster you move, the better your time or score. Sadly, not all movements should be performed as fast as you can, and not everyone needs to do things as fast as they possibly can. So if you aren't interested in competing, and you listen to your body and tell your coach if they tell you to slow down, and coaches, you all need to learn when to tell your athletes when to back off, you're much less likely to get hurt. If you're a competitor, you need to understand that if, if CrossFit is your sport, that your risk of injury is going to be similar to other sports. The other thing I want to bring up from the Florida study is that the more hours people trained, the more likely they were to get injured. Overtraining is a huge problem in the fitness world and not just CrossFit. The no days off mentality is getting people hurt and it needs to stop. You are only as fit as the workout that you can recover from. Beating yourself up day in and day out isn't making you fitter and eventually you're going to be sidelined and forced to rest when you get injured. So this is another reason I created the Straight Shot Training Program. We lift three to four days a week and have a sprint conditioning day where we might use some bodyweight movements or lighter weights in a circuit and of the lifting days, we typically only dedicate one of them as a high-intensity circuit day, with the other days being focused on mechanics and building strength. Personally, I've trained myself this way for several years, and I can still walk into a CrossFit gym and hold my own in whatever their wad is that day. 
but I don't need to do that kind of workout every single day in order to be fast or strong or powerful or have endurance or have a combination of all of those. In straight shot, we have one complete rest day and two, and sorry, one complete rest day and one active recovery day. So we have two kind of rest days to allow the body to repair and come back fitter. And this is paramount, I believe, to my athlete's success and the safety of my program. And I think it's part of my responsibility as a coach to enforce this, to make sure that my athletes are taking these rest days seriously. So last little thing here before we move on. Please stop trying to make no days off a thing. It's, it's not doesn't work. It's not going to happen. You have got to allow the body to recover. So on to our next study. This is the Brazil study. Uh, this is a newer one, and it was published in the Orthopedic Journal of Sports Medicine. Uh, the methods were, this cross-sectional study was based on a questionnaire administered to CrossFit athletes in various gyms across Brazil. Uh, Data was collected over the course of two months uh, through an electronic questionnaire that included demographic data, level of sedentary lifestyle at work, sports training history prior to starting CrossFit, current sports activities, professional monitoring, and whether the participants experienced any injuries while practicing CrossFit. So I like this one because it took into account things outside of the CrossFit training program. So what these people did uh, during their everyday life. The results were a total of 566 questionnaires uh, were received and met the inclusion criteria. And of those, 176 individuals, or 31%, mentioned having experienced some type of injury while practicing CrossFit. And this study found no significant di difference in injury incidence rates regarding the demographic data. So there was no significant difference regarding previous sports activities because individuals who did not practice prior physical activity showed very similar injury rates to those who, who did practice sports at any level, which is interesting because you'd think that people who were athletes before doing CrossFit would get injured less once they started it than people who didn't work out at all. But it just shows that everyone needs to become a beginner when they start a new program. And once they're in it, you have got to become a lifelong learner when it, when it comes to the pursuit of fitness. Just because you played football doesn't mean you know how to lift correctly. Just because you were a swimmer in college doesn't mean you know how to swing a kettlebell. You have to listen to your coaches. And coaches, you can't assume that somebody knows how to do something just because they were an athlete. So anyway, the conclusion stated that CrossFit injury rates are comparable to those of recreational or competitive sports, and the injuries show a profile similar to weightlifting, powerlifting, weight training, gymnastics, and running, all of which have an injury rate nearly half of that of soccer. Now, I know we're talking training today, but since I'm bringing soccer up, I wanted to share this study with you because I ended up down a rabbit hole whenever I was researching for this. And this is a study on the injury rates of soccer that was published in the journal Pediatrics. This study found that 3 million injuries in youth soccer occurred between 1990 and 2014. The majority of the injuries were sprains or strains, some fractures, some soft tissue injuries, uh, some concussions, uh, but it was a 25-year study, and during this 25 years, 3 million injuries occurred. So now no one tells a parent that they're going to be they're irresponsible for signing their kids up for youth soccer but if someone were to see a parent doing 
cleaning jerks or swinging a kettlebell uh, in their garage with their child, they'd wonder if that parent was being safe or responsible with their kid. Soccer is an excellent way for people to stay active and to get good cardiovascular exercise, but it does have its risks. The Brazil study said you were more likely to get hurt playing soccer than you were Olympic lifting, powerlifting, weight training in a conventional gym, doing gymnastics, or, or running. But since we're trying to talk training more than sport in this podcast today, let's look at a different study on injuries. This one is on the injury rates in running and was published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine. This study compared 17 other studies with data collected from hundreds of both recreational and competitive runners. The overall incidence of lower extremity injuries found in the 17 studies varied from 19.4% to 79.3%. Yes, in some of these studies, 80% of runners were injured while training. In other studies in which non-lower extremity injuries were also described and included in that total number of injuries, they had reported injuries in athletes ranging from 26% of the athletes in one study to 92.4% in another study. 92.4% of the athletes were injured in one study. So this is where people could do the same thing that people will probably do with the Dutch CrossFit study, where they cherry pick the highest study as a confirmation to their biased opinions. The Meanwhile, the Alabama, the New York, and the Florida studies had athletes getting hurt in the low to mid 20% range, and the Brazil study was 31%. So again, don't just look at one study. That's why I like comparative studies like this British running study and the other uh, CrossFit studies that were more compilation studies involving lots of athletes or multiple studies, just so you can get a wider range of results to draw a conclusion from. So again, running is a very popular way to both stay in shape and compete in, but it's exercise. There's going to be some associated risks. And just because one study says 90% of runners were injured does not mean that 9 out of 10 people in a 5K just shatter their ankles before they finish. So be smart about these things that you're looking at. But understand, exercise does have risks. So to conclude our look at all of this, when we analyze compilation studies that compare CrossFit and similar programs to other what we'll call strength sports, we see that Per 1,000 hours of training and competing, strongman is at the top of the list of all the studies I looked at, followed by powerlifting, then Olympic weightlifting, then CrossFit, followed by bodybuilding. So even though they're in that order though, the injury rates ranged from 1 to 5 injuries per 1,000 hours of training between these five sports. And that's the point that I want to, that I want to kind of drive home and that we keep coming back to. As a sport and a training program, CrossFit and similar programs to CrossFit are not any more dangerous than their counterparts. That being said, why are people getting injured in these training styles if they aren't competing in an event that might require them to push beyond what they're capable of withstanding without injury? Well, people like to push the red line. Some people enjoy it. Some people like to feel like their lungs are coming out of their throat at the end of the workout. Whether they're crazy or not, that, that could probably be a different study in itself. But during my research, I found a study that compared a CrossFit class 
to a personal training session using the guidelines of the American College of Sports Medicine. And I had to laugh then. I'm laughing now because, of course, CrossFit is going to be more dangerous than an ACSM training session because it's way more intense. There, those are two widely different ends of the spectrum. You have an ACSM training session, which is something that's on the on the edge of clinical exercise, like you would be doing uh, in a, a rehabilitation program. And you have CrossFit, which are some of the fittest people who, who have ever been around are competing in the CrossFit games. There's two very different things here. But I like to think of straight shot being kind of somewhere near the middle. That's why we call ourselves a balanced functional fitness program. Ask anyone who's done my programming, though. It's not easy, but it's not always leaving you on the floor gasping for air. But I mean, don't get me wrong. Our, some of our sprint days might, but we do balance those with less intense recovery days, and we place a large focus on developing strength and capacity in all directions with both upper and lower body, and we prepare the body each day with mobility and prehab movements to ward off injuries and to improve function. But I understand that people like the intense competitive nature of CrossFit and other competitive fitness programs and, and fitness competitions. This, this is why over the past few months, I've been developing something and I, and I wanted to create something for these the folks who are into CrossFit uh, or similar programs, or anyone else who's interested in improving mobility, stability, and decreasing their risk for injury while performing the intense programs that they enjoy doing. So coming out this week, tomorrow actually, Monday, is a new program from Straight Shot called Resilient. So the Resilient program has five different workouts to improve your squat, deadlift, lunge, and overhead slash horizontal pushing and pulling movements, while at the same time forging strong hips, strong shoulders, and strong lower backs, all in an effort to prevent training injuries from happening. So each workout, we focus on two of the previously mentioned body shapes, and you can do these before your CrossFit class, or you can do these on an active recovery day because they are just mobility and prehab, and they take about 10 to 15 minutes. As a bonus with this program, we're also including four what we call core finishers. And these are core workouts that you can do after your training session if you have time. And they will help you develop the muscles around your hips and trunk to both stabilize and move you. Because after all, functional movements are core to extremity in nature. So from the center outward. So the Resilient program is all on a mobile-friendly PDF. And every exercise in the program has a link to a demo video so you can make sure that you're performing it correctly. So if you would like to get the Resilient program to start addressing your mobility and stability issues, or if you would like to do the Straight Shot Training Program, which is a monthly subscription to a comprehensive strength and conditioning program, you can find both on our website, straightshottraining.com. If you'd like to connect with us on social media, you can do so using the handle at straight shot training. So for all of you coaches out there, I hope you can take something away from this podcast to help you create a safer environment for your athletes to train in. And athletes, please listen to your body and communicate with your coach so we can help you stay safe while getting fit. And regardless of what your training program is, the better coaches and athletes can work together, the less injuries we're going to see. Thank you so much for listening today and have a great week, everybody.